Good morning, and welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm author and host Kevin Hopkins, and this is episode number 55. And before we move on in the text of the book of Revelation, we've been in Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 through 18 for the last two episodes, really. Uh, The last episode was kind of an aside, and I want to take another aside today and talk to you about a really key concept in the book of Revelation. I made a lot of it in the book, and I realized today that in the podcast, I, I just really haven't said much about it at all. But it is the central concept, in my opinion, to making sense of the book of Revelation. And it's the concept of empire versus kingdom. Empire, the rulers of this earth and its empires, versus God and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ. The book of Revelation, John writes to seven little churches in in what's now Turkey, in Asia Minor, to say, look, I understand that it appears that the Roman Empire has absolute power over you. I understand that with 20 or 30 people in your little congregation, it feels like you're powerless against an an overpowering empire that demands you worship its its rulers, its, its own false gods, that demands you pay your taxes, that demands you line up and do what the the empire wants you to, or you won't even be allowed to do business. And if you can't do business in the empire, you'll starve to death. I understand how overwhelming that seems. And and John even mentions um, his dear friend who was martyred in one of those communities for his faith. John says, look, I, I understand what you face, but that's all an appearance. That's how things are in the empire. They are an appearance. The truth is what you find in Christ, in God himself, because God is the truth and his word is the truth. And the real power, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the power that forgave you of your sins, the power that sees you through each day, the power that one day will see the fall of this empire. That real power belongs with God and to God, and he gives it to you. It's really quite uh, it's really quite a message, right? And it's timely to us today because we live in a world where the empires rage and we feel ineffectual, powerless, whatever it is, against all of the garbage that we hear in the news, online, every day. And and some of my friends are really lost in all of the conspiracies against them. And so I want to take an aside and really focus on empire versus kingdom and how it plays out in your life and mine today. 
I think I first became aware of this concept about 15 years ago when I realized that the book of Revelation was really talking about the Roman Empire as the epitome or the example of all empires that had existed before it and all the empires that would follow. Now, in John's writing, he calls it Babylon because Babylon also was an empire that took others captive, that conquered them, that went out for conquest and caused war and and shed blood and then took the people that it conquered hostage back to Babylon and forced them to worship its gods and forced them to live in its lifestyle, forced them to work within its economy to make that empire richer. And in the in the case of the Israelites, finally turned them loose and sent them home, which is actually the kingdom that comes after the Babylonians. It's actually the Medes that turn uh, the Israelites loose. The kingdom that would follow them would be the Persians, and the kingdom that followed that would be the Greeks, and the empire that followed that would be the Roman Empire. So it's it's a string of empirical rulers that that makes it laughable when when the Pharisees say to Jesus, "What do you mean free? We're free today. We have never been slaves to anyone." Well, from the time they were in Egypt, there's only a few hundred years that they weren't slaves to somebody right? So it's laughable when, when people want to, to assert that the empire has no power over them because you and I live in the empire. I, I see in our world some really troubling issues spiritually because we confuse the empire and the kingdom every day. I just realized that in my last point about all of the empires of antiquity, I called a couple of them kingdoms. And even I confuse the language at times. But I look at my fellow Americans, because I live in the United States of America, and I look at how much they have, since I was a child, how much they have longed for a Christian leader, to, to lead what they believe is a Christian nation. And they have conflated the empire and the kingdom. And they're looking for a kingdom leader in this empire. And it's never coming. It's never coming. You know who came the closest in my lifetime to being the kind of Christian leader that we really want to have as far as morality and honesty and integrity is concerned? Jimmy Carter, until Barack Obama, the single most inept president we'd ever had in the United States of America. Now he ranks third behind Biden and then Obama and then Carter. We don't want, the the empire doesn't need Christian leadership because the empire is headed for destruction. That's what this 17th and 18th chapters of the book of Revelation say very clearly that empire is headed for the fate of every empire that's ever existed on the face of the earth, and that's destruction. It doesn't matter who leads it. 
After Barack Obama, we got Donald Trump. Obviously not a Christian leader. And yet I watched my friends in Christendom turn cartwheels and do contortions to try and make him out to be a Christian. Now, let me be gracious. Let me be honest first. I didn't vote for him the first time. I didn't vote for anybody. I didn't want Hillary Clinton because I thought she was a lying criminal. And I thought there was enough evidence to prove that then, let alone now. I could not see my nation ever being led by someone like that. But I lived in a place where the Democrat was going to win. In fact, in that election, my mail-in ballot, as well as those of about 30 of my neighbors, got pilfered from our mailboxes and turned in. We don't know how they were voted, but they were all turned in within four or five days of when they were pilfered. And so I called the, the election commission. My neighbors started to alert one another that, hey, we should have had our ballots last week and now they're gone. Someone took them. Our mailboxes got jimmied and the ballots are the only thing they took. Someone is voting our ballots. And so I called the election commission in Seattle and got my King County ballot reissued and I marked it. I, mar I, I voted in every race except the presidential race. Now, if I thought about it, I would have gone ahead and marked Donald, or I would have marked Donald Trump in that race just in case it would offset whatever the criminals who stole the ballots marked. I didn't know that, so I didn't vote in that in that race because I couldn't consciously bring myself to vote for a guy that had said the kinds of things that Donald Trump had said about women, that treated people with the absolute ugliness that he treated them, making up names for honorable people like like uh, the senator from Florida, Marco Rubio, um, saying horrible things about John McCain, who, whatever you think of him, endured years of torture at the hands of the North Vietnamese, came home with one leg shorter than the other because they, they wouldn't repair his broken bones properly. Um, that guy did his time. He served his country. And, and I don't agree with him politically almost at all, but there was no reason to, to dishonor his character, to call him names. After he'd run for president and lost, he was no longer any effect in the world. And, and for candidate then Trump to, to just excoriate John McCain for no reason, to, to excoriate Mitt Romney for no reason, to, to stand up this straw man of enemy Republicans. It, it was more than I could handle, so I didn't vote for him. I didn't vote for her, took my ballot back down, filed it in person, showed him my ID, asked him what would happen to my original ballot, and they said, it's too late to get it, a hold of it. We can't negate it. We can't withdraw it. They'll both be counted. And it was then that I realized that my voice is very close to not counting in this country. That whole mail-in ballot system is a criminal enterprise. Um, I, I just can't stress enough how much I'm against that. It's not the reason that we're on this podcast, but uh, I realized that in that time that I belong to an empire. 
And, and that's the same time in which I began to realize how this empire has marked us. We're a number, and it's a known number. And, and we are traceable, we're trackable. It's really kind of scary when you start to look at what they can do with the marks that they already have on us. So Donald Trump got elected, and I have to confess, I was very pleasantly surprised at how well he led the nation. And I was still flabbergasted that someone didn't take his electronics at night when they gave him his evening meds and say, okay, dad, here's your meds. Give us your electronics. You cannot tweet at three o'clock in the morning because under the influence of whatever meds it was he took at night, he would invariably send out these cracker tweets at 2.30 and 3 in the morning. And, and I'd get up the next day and there they were in my Twitter feed. I'm like, oh, why did they let him get up in the middle of the night and say these crazy things? But when he came up for re-election, um, it was him or Hillary. And I didn't want Hillary. That was for certain. And by this time, I see the direction that he's taking the country. And I'm sorry, when he came up for re-election, it was him and Biden. And, and I didn't want Biden. I think Biden is a, a steeped-in-the-wool leftist from way back when. He always has been a lying lefty, and so I didn't want him. Uh, Trump had done a great job of bringing the country to economic prosperity, of taking care of the immigration problem, of leading us in in a direction that I agreed with. I didn't listen to all my Christian friends who were like, ooh, he got saved in the process, or, or people like Paula White, prophetess Paula White, who wanted to get on TV as often as she could with pictures of her next to Donald Trump in order to further her influence in her quote unquote ministry. And so uh, I didn't, I wasn't pulled apart by all of that. And I began to realize that Donald Trump was the emperor. <laughs> he led the empire. He did not represent the kingdom. And and while I didn't appreciate all of the shade that he got when he took a Bible in hand and, and tried to act like a Christian, at least I, I respected the fact he was trying to act like a Christian. I don't know if he was pandering to his base or not. Maybe he was. But at least he was trying. The previous president hadn't ever been to church or held up a Bible or, you know, tried to look like a Christian in any way, shape or form that I could see. Um, and so I, I became very aware that whether it was one of the Bushes or Bill Clinton or Barack Obama or Donald Trump, those guys are the leader of the empire, not the kingdom. They are the shadow of power. They are all the second little beast with his cute little ram's horns that masquerades as a sheep. They're not the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world who's fit to open the scroll. They're not even close. And I began to realize that that's the dividing point in the book of Revelation, empire versus kingdom. Then with the re-election of Donald Trump going badly and the election having all of the questions that it had. 
all of my, well, not all, but a big section of my Christian friends suddenly are QAnon followers and they're posting the craziest stuff. Release the Kraken. The perfect storm is about to happen on this date. Their election will be disqualified and Donald Trump will be inaugurated. And none of it came to pass. Not a word of it. Not a bit of it. And I even, I'm kind of ashamed, but, but honestly, there are people in my friend group who listen to this podcast who know this is true. I bet some people a few hundred dollars, a hundred dollars here and a hundred dollars there. I I said, it's not going to happen. I promise you, I'll bet you a hundred dollars. Put your money where your mouth is. And they were all like, I promise you, Donald Trump's going to get inaugurated. I'll take that bet. Not one of them paid off. And to this day, a year and a half later, they're still saying, you just wait, it's coming. My friends are watching the dumbest YouTube videos as though YouTube were some source of authority. And they send me these these videos and they're like, look at this. It's about to happen. I'm like, dude, for years now, it's been about to happen. We've been almost to the perfect storm. One of these days, the great pedophile ring is going to be exposed and Oprah's going to get arrested. (laughs) Seriously. We have confused the empire with the kingdom. And so here we are, Christians who should know better, arguing and scrabbling and fighting over who runs the empire. But it doesn't matter who runs the empire because the empire is doomed to fall. It's not going to get better. I had a long discussion a couple of weeks ago with a dear friend of mine who said, but Kevin, don't you think it's important that a Christian nation be led by a Christian leader? I said, well, sure, if we were a Christian nation. They said, well, how can you say that? We were founded on Christian principles. Well, that's true. We were roughly founded on Christian principles, yes. And and our founding fathers cited scripture and scriptural ideas to, to bolster their reasons for founding this country. I don't have any doubt that that's true. I understand that in America, we're kind of caught up with this idea of manifest destiny. That's a, that's a term that you can Google, you can study manifest destiny, that God somehow cleared the way and and performed miraculous works along the way to form and formulate the United States so that we could be the bearers of the gospel into the new world. And I'm not sure that I don't agree with some of that, but that's not how it's worked out. My friend said, how how can you say we're not a Christian nation? And I said, you know, shortly uh, after this country was settled, before it was the United States, we started bringing in slaves to this country. Before it was even a country, it was a slave territory, right? And, And we took African people, and, and we bought them and we sold them like a commodity and we enslaved them for the economic benefit of, of white plantation owners. 
Is that a Christian concept? Well, no, they say that that's, that was a travesty, and, and, but we, we made that right. We made that right with a war and like 700,000 people killed. Is that how Christians settle their differences? Well, they said, no, it, it really isn't. But it's, it's been set right now. I said, why don't you ask our black friends, and we have several in common. I said, why don't you ask them if they're happy with the way that's settled out now, or if they don't feel like it's still one of the great unhealing scars on our nation. And the person shook their head and said, I, that's not a conversation I want to have. Because they know what our friends will say. I've got dear Christian black brothers and sisters who still grieve that their voices aren't heard, that they still live in the shadow of what happened before our grandparents were born, before our great-grandparents were born, when none of us were slaves in those generations. And yet the shadows of that blight continue to affect the lives of black people in this country today. That's not how a Christian nation acts and, and behaves. So my friend said, well, that's, that's a good example, but it's only one. I said, okay, let's take the way we treated the native indigenous peoples who were on this continent before we came. We, we committed genocide against several of those tribes. Several of those tribes no longer exist on the face of the earth because we wiped them out. White people wiped them out, right? Others... We rounded up, we killed all their food source, we crashed their economy on purpose, and and we rounded them up and we put them in internment camps we called reservations. Some of them, we rounded up in the Southeast United States and we death marched them a couple thousand miles, well, 1,500 miles, to Indian territory, a desolate place that wasn't nearly as fertile as the place we took them from because we wanted their land. And we penned them up in Indian territory and satiated our consciences that we'd given them something. And, and, and that scar is still unhealing. Uh, there's a community in my state that you can go to in the summers, and every night there's a passion play about the Trail of Tears, that journey, that death march from the Southeast United States to Indian Territory in Oklahoma where we stored our Indians, right? That's not how a Christian nation behaves. We interred their children. We took their children from their parents and we put them in schools in order to, quote, educate the savage out of them. We took away their native language. We made them learn to speak English. You're in our country now. Well, it was their country until we took it from them. And we, we, we abused those kids. Those old school sites have graveyards filled with the graves of Indian kids that were murdered in those re-education schools. We did that. This nation did that. And my friend said, well, I, I understand, but again, Kevin, that was a couple hundred years ago. 
we've come so far. I said, oh, okay, okay, let's go into the last century. <laughs> we rounded up all the Japanese Americans because Japan attacked us. And we took people who had never been to Japan in their lives. They were Japanese Americans. They, they lived here, they did commerce here, they paid taxes here. Some of them had kids and relatives fighting for the United States in World War II. And we rounded them up and we sent them to concentration camps. We called them internment camps, but it was a place where you could concentrate all of the Japanese together so that if there was an uprising, we could squelch it. I, I've been to the places in Washington state where we removed them from their property, sent them to internment camps, and then white people were allowed to steal their property from them by tricks with the titles and deeds. And when they got back from the internment camp, their property in some of the most beautiful places in the state of Washington had been stolen from them and no one, no one advocated for them to get it back. You gotta be kidding me. Is that how a Christian nation treats people? My friend said, well, Kevin. I said, oh no, not that one. Well, how about we took black men and in the name of government health program, we injected them with syphilis. And knowing that there was an antibiotic that would absolutely cure syphilis in one or two treatments, we denied them that, that healing treatment so that we could watch them and study them like lab rats and see how long it took for the syphilis to cripple them and drive them crazy. And we let them die from a disease that we gave them and we could have treated them. Gonna tell me this is a Christian nation? We do stuff like that? It's not any better now. We will, we will manipulate people. We will launch a government program and, and then build laws so that people have to comply to it. So that if you don't comply, you can't do business. You can't go out in public. You can't get on an airplane. You can't travel to another country until you've complied with our government. It's free. Why wouldn't you comply? You want to tell me that's how Christian people treat each other? This is not a Christian nation. Okay, one more. Every year since 1972, every year, for 40 years, 50 years, <laughs> every year for 50 years, we have knowingly, willingly, intentionally, taken the lives of close to a million unborn children a year on the average since 1972 for 50 years. The total of abortions performed in the United States now is somewhere in the, in the 47 million range. Six million were killed in the Holocaust and we hung people over that. For the murder of six million Jews, people faced the firing squad. We have, we've had over seven holocausts since 1972 in the United States. We've murdered seven times the number of people who died in the holocaust. We murder 
800,000 a year. Still to this day, 800,000 unborn citizens of the United States are murdered every year. And one political party calls it a right. They call it health care. They, they argue for the right to kill an unborn child in this country. The other party treats it like a, like a political litmus test. Rather than do something about it, we raise funds over it. That's how a Christian nation behaves? This is not a Christian nation. This isn't even close to a Christian nation. And as long as that single travesty still exists, let alone the history of travesties we've done, as long as that single travesty exists, that we argue that it's right in any way to murder a voiceless, defenseless, unborn child, this is not a Christian nation. There's not a hint of anything godly here. Go to church on Sunday and sing your songs. Raise your hands and dance if you like. You don't live in a Christian nation. And if you're not doing everything in your power to stand in the way of the murder of the unborn, you're part of the problem. Don't talk to me about a Christian nation. This is not a Christian nation, and we're not run by Christian people. And, and I'm amazed that we go from a guy with a really bad personality but really good presidential skills to a guy with, with Alzheimer's and no presidential skills and absolute ineptitude who's probably the puppet of, of the Obamas behind him. And, and there are people in this world who want to argue that we're in a better state now than we were then. We're not. It's an empire, and it's crumbling. It is falling apart, and that's what every empire does. This is not a kingdom. This is an empire. And if you're looking to this empire for authority, for power, for satisfaction, for safety, for security, you're looking in the wrong place. If you think that your future is guaranteed by this empire, you're not thinking straight. This empire is going to fall. I used to think it was something that my grandchildren would have to deal with. I didn't think I'd see this kind of stuff in my lifetime. And here we are. It's as though our own government is trying to tear up our own nation from inside. Well, that's how the Roman Empire fell apart, from the inside. From, from rulers and, and authorities who struggled for power, who fought for power, who used the citizenry as cash cows for power. That's exactly what's happening in our country today. I didn't think I'd live to see this, and here it is. If we don't find an answer to this, we're going to come to an earlier demise than I thought. But make no mistake, empires die. And this fate that you see carried out on Babylon in Revelation chapter 17 and 18 is the fate that every empire suffers. And you'll notice in the narrative, there are spectators. It's not the end of the world. It's the end of empire versus kingdom. It's the crushing of that which stands against God and tries to replace God. She rides on a beast covered with blasphemous names. 
They're blasphemous because they're the titles that belong only to God, not to some governmental structure. King, Lord, Emperor, Grace. Those are blasphemy when they're spoken about anybody but God. Babylon is representative of structures in this world where religion was entangled with government in the name of gaining influence and power. Babylon is representative of exactly the church and the religious crazy people that we have today that are all worried that Donald Trump gets reinstalled and Christians rise again to power. Now, I'd sure rather have Donald Trump than the fool we've got now or any fool that that other party wants to put up for president in the future. I don't see anybody in their stable that I'd rather have than Donald Trump. But that's a political thing. That's the empire. And I'd like the empire to go on for a while longer so that I can die and leave it to my kids. I'd like to see my kids live through peace and prosperity. But the way things are going, the empire is going to, to collapse before that can happen. And if that empire collapses, if the United States falls apart, in part or in whole, what will happen to your faith? You see, if your faith is tangled up in the empire, it's doomed along with the empire. It's the message of the book of Revelation. If you have prostituted your faith and tied it up into the, into the fate of the empire, when the empire falls, you will fall with it and your faith will fall with it. And people will say, oh, where was God? Which is cursing and reviling God because he sent the destruction. And they thought they were the people of God. You see, it's such a central thought to making sense of the book of Revelation that I need you to really think about it. I've had friends that have made fun of me and said, ooh, empire versus kingdom. It's like Star Wars. Well, kind of, because the empire is evil and the kingdom is where all the power is. The empire is dark. The kingdom is light. John uses that differentiation over and over and over. So yeah, maybe Star Wars was, was written off of these core concepts. Okay, they're truth. Word of encouragement out of all of this. Whew. It's a little tough, isn't it? This has been pretty pointed. But I do encourage you to understand if you're a Christian person, whether you accepted your Christianity by vows of confession in a confessional church or, or you went to the altar in an evangelical church or you experienced some, some Pentecostal experience in a Pentecostal church, in the moment that you committed your life to Jesus Christ, you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ was Lord and Savior you became an absolutely real Christian. You became a part of the kingdom of God. You became an eternal 
being from that moment into eternity. Your judgment was had. Your eternal life has already begun. You will pass from this life to the next life at some point. The Bible says you won't even taste death. You will pass from glory into glory is what Paul said. So you, you live outside the boundaries, the laws, the rules, the, the destruction of the empire. Now, if the empire goes down, you may suffer. That's why it calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. If the empire goes down, it's going to hurt all of us. We're going to feel the pain. They're feeling the pain right now at the gas pump in the grocery store. But this is only the beginnings. If the kingdom implodes, I mean, if the, if the empire implodes, we're going to feel the pain. But it's, that's not the ultimate power. That's not the ultimate deliverance. What's the worst this empire can do? Take my life and send me home. It's not such a bad deal. Paul says, man, I'm kind of torn because I understand that going home to be with Jesus would be a lot better than suffering here. At the same time, I want to stay here because there's still people to be saved. There's still work to be done for the kingdom here. I'm old enough now that I can relate to that. You probably can too. Be encouraged that you don't belong to this empire. You are a citizen of the kingdom. If you're not, then talk to your friends who are Christians. Talk to your pastor and say, I'd like to know that I can be sure that I have done what I need to do to respond to the grace of Jesus Christ and be part of his kingdom. They'll guide you. If you need to, you can email me. You can find me at, at Revelation Power Book, uh, revelationpowerbook at gmail.com. Or you can find my Revelation Power uh, site on Facebook and send me a message and say, Pastor, I was listening to the podcast and I'd like to talk to you. I'd just like to know that I'm a Christian today. I'll help you. It's not, it's not complex or hard to just acknowledge that Jesus is Savior and King and to ask him to include me in his kingdom. You're going to see as the book of Revelation wraps up that that's what's most important, that you belong to him. Not that he's your Lord and Savior, but that you belong to him. I don't, I don't hold on to Jesus. I don't claim Jesus. I don't contain Jesus. Jesus has me. Nothing else really matters. Not what church I belong to, not how I worship, where I worship, when I worship. It only matters that I belong to him. Because those who are in him, he will care for. He will grant them power. He will cause in their lives things to happen they could never have imagined otherwise. I'm about to release a second book about some of those things. I'll tell you more about it as the date grows closer. But, but he said, greater things will you do than even I have done because I'm sending you my Holy Spirit that you can belong to him. 
So Christian, go out today and understand that the real power is on your side. It's not with the boss. It's not with the government. It's not with the IRS. It's not with the state patrol. Don't violate those people on, on purpose or you'll pay that price. But they don't have the ultimate power. The ultimate power is with Christ in you. With Christ in you. The ultimate power is on your side. The ultimate power is interceding for you before the throne in heaven right now. The ultimate power cares and loves and wants what's best for you and watches over you and will hold you through whatever you have to face. Even if you suffer, even if you have pain to endure, patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints is what's required. There's no way out of it. There's only a way through it. And what lies on the other side is Christ and eternity. Let's press on to that.